Chapter Six of Half Past Bedtime by H. H. Bashford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six: The Magic Song. About a month after Cuthbert had been lucky enough to save Beardy Ned's little girl, the weather grew so hot that all the people in the town became rather discontented. It is always easier for people in towns to become discontented than it is for other people because instead of fields to walk on they have only pavements, and instead of hills to look at they have only chimneys, and instead of bean-flowers to smell they have only dustbins and the stale air that trickles down the streets. So the men in the ironworks were discontented because they thought that the men who owned the ironworks didn't give them enough money and the men in the cotton mills were discontented because they thought that the men who owned the cotton mills made them work too hard, and the girls in Mr. Joseph's refreshment shops thought him a cruel old beast, and the policemen thought that nobody loved them. Also the men who owned the ironworks thought that their men were greedy, and the men who owned the cotton mills were afraid of becoming poor, and Mr. Joseph was feeling depressed and the policemen still thought that nobody loved them. Even dear Miss Plum, the head of the school, had a frown on her forehead, and the French mistress slapped Doris so hard that she left a red mark on Doris's cheek. Of course Doris was very angry about it, and her little brothers wanted to know exactly where the mark was, but it had faded away by the time she arrived home, and her mother only said that it had probably served her right. Doris was rather fond, you see, of cheeking the French mistress, and asking her silly questions to make the other girls laugh, and since she had had her hair bobbed the week before, she was even cheekier than usual. Doris, as you may remember, lived in John Street, which was the next street to Peter Street, where Marion and Cuthbert lived, but the houses in it were smaller than the houses in Peter Street, and most of the people in them were rather poor. Doris's mother was poor because Doris's daddy was dead, and Doris had five little brothers, Teddy and George, who were the twins, and Jimmy and Jocko and Christopher Mark. They were much too poor to be able to have a maid, and so Doris's mother had to do most of the work. She had to be cook and housemaid and nurse and governess and mummy-darling all in one. Now that Doris was ten, she was able to help her mother sometimes and she used to take Christopher Mark out in his pushcart, and since she had been to the Arctic Circle with Cuthbert and Captain Jeremy, her mother had begun to lean upon her a little more. But, oh, it was hot! The people in the streets lagged along with pale faces. They talked about the trouble in the ironworks, and the trouble in the cotton mills, and what would Mr. Joseph do if his girls went on strike? And didn't the policeman look ill-tempered? and Miss Plum couldn't make her accounts come out right, and the French mistress went home to her boarding-house, and there she told everybody that she was going to be ill, and that the ham was tepid and the milk-pudding sour. Even in John Street it was almost as bad, though it was a quiet street with a field at the other end of it, for the sun poured right into it, so that there wasn't any shade and the stones of the pavement shone like mortars, and the drains at number fifteen were out of order, and there was half a haddock lying in the middle of the road. 
So Doris went into the garden when they had all finished tea, but it was as hot in the garden as it was anywhere else, and the lady next door was grumbling to the lady beyond about one of her husband's collars that had been spoilt in the wash. Doris played about a bit and made Jocko cry, because he was silly, and wanted to read a book, and then she went round to Peter Street to see Cuthbert and Marion, and found that they had gone into the country to see their Uncle Joe. So she came back and teased the twins, and at last it was time to go to bed, and it was almost as hot after the sun had gone down as it had been in the middle of the day. She slept in the same room with Jimmy and Jocko, and they all turned and twisted and kicked off their bedclothes, and as the daylight faded the moonlight grew, so that it was past ten before they fell asleep. That was when their mother came and kissed them, and she was so tired that she could hardly stand, and then she went to bed and fell asleep too, and the church clock struck eleven times. Happy was Beardy Ned then, sleeping by the stream with little Liz and his beautiful secret, and happy was Gwendolen in her farmhouse bedroom, smelling of lavender and last year's apples. But sorrowful and sticky were the people of the town, and troubled were their slumbers. Then Doris sat up suddenly, for out in the street was the biggest din that she had ever heard. She jumped from her bed and ran to the window and there she saw nine of the strangest-looking people. There was a big sailor with a concertina, and a stout lady with a tambourine, and a soldier with a pair of cymbals, and an elderly greengrocer who was very thin. They were standing in a row, and sitting on the ground behind them were five men, each with a drum. Doris leaned out, and when they saw her they all sang louder than ever. But the funny thing was, that nobody else in the whole street seemed to hear them. The blinds were all down, the moonlight lay on the road, and there wasn't a head at anybody's window. When Doris first listened they had been singing about the lady, but now they began to sing about the sailor, and the sailor stepped forward playing his concertina, and singing the loudest of them all. He had a tenor voice with a great smack in it, like the smack of a wave against a jetty and when he sang softly without taking a breath it was like water running through seaweed. The soldier sang bass like a motor lorry in a hurry to get home over a rough road, and the stout lady sang soprano, and the elderly greengrocer only squeaked. This is what they sang. Here's a sailor come home from the guineas. His face is as black as a leaf. His eyes are like forest of darkness. His heart is a hotbed of grief. His arms are like roots of the jungle, he has ladies tattooed on his skin, and his clothes smell of cinnamon, cardamom, tar. Oh, mother, must I let him in? Bang, bang with the drums. Oh, mother, must I let him in? There was a chorus and the queerest sort of dance, and it all seemed somehow to be just wrong. And when they stopped and looked up at her window, Doris really didn't know what to make of them. Then the sailor coughed and scratched the back of his head and said, "'Beg pardon, miss, but are you ten years old?' Doris said that she was. "'And have you five brothers younger than yourself?' Doris said that she had. "'And have you five fingers on each hand and five toes on each foot?' Doris laughed and said that they could come and count them if they didn't believe her word. 
They looked at one another with a peculiar expression, while the five drummers stared at the ground, and then the stout lady asked her if she would come downstairs and let them count her eyelashes. "'Why do you want to count my eyelashes?' asked Doris. "'It's most important,' said the greengrocer. "'If you'll come downstairs,' said the soldier, "'we shall be most happy to tell you why.' Doris pulled her head in and glanced around the bedroom. Jimmy and Jocko were still fast asleep. She put on her dressing-gown, but not her slippers, in case they should want to count her toes. Then she opened the door and ran softly downstairs, and drew back the bolts, and went into the street. "'Wouldn't it be better,' said the stout lady, "'if we went to a quieter place?' "'Well, there's a field,' said Doris, at the end of the street. "'Of course we might go along there.' "'You're sure you're not frightened?' asked the sailor. The five drummers still stared at the ground. "'Not very much,' said Doris. "'You aren't going to hurt me, are you?' "'God forbid!' said the elderly greengrocer. So they went up the street to the field at the end, and there they all crouched under the hedge, and the sailor, whose name was Lancelot, did most of the talking because he was the biggest. "'You see, we've all lost something,' he said. So we went to see an old man who lives in the middle of Brazil. He's the wisest old geezer as ever lived, and we all of us told him what we had lost. This here lady has lost her husband, and has been trying to find him for years and years. And this here soldier has lost his character, and can't find a general to give him a job. And this here greengrocer has lost his appetite, and is getting thinner and thinner. And as for me, I've lost my temper, and can't find a ship to sail in." "'That's very sad,' said Doris. "'And what have these drummers lost?' "'Their senses,' said Lancelot. Each of these here drummers has been and lost one of his senses. The first can't see, and the second can't hear, and the third can't smell, and the fourth can't taste, and the fifth can't feel." "'I see,' said Doris. "'And what did the old man tell you?' "'Well,' said Lancelot, "'that's just what I was coming to. He told us he thought of a magic song. There was four verses to it, and the words didn't matter,' he said so long as they were sung by somebody who had lost something. After each verse there was a chorus, and in between the verses there was a dance. When we told him our troubles he made up some words for us, and then he lent us these here drummers. But what you've got to find, he said, is a little girl who can play this here flute. Far until you found her you can sing as loud as you like, but you won't sing right, and nobody won't hear you. But when you've found her, that's what the old man said, she'll be able to blow this here flute, for this here flute can play by itself, if you find the right little girl to blow it. Well, of course we was interested, so we asked him to go on, and he said that it would play for just about an hour, and by the end of that time, he said, it would have settled all our troubles and all the troubles of the people as heard it. Only, first of all, he said, you must find the right little girl, and the time must be midnight, and the moon must be full." "'Dear me,' said Doris, "'that sounds rather odd.' "'That's what we thought,' said the stout lady. "'Well,' said Lancelot, "'naturally we asked him where this here girl was to be found, but he shook his head, and he said as he didn't know, 
and that all we could do was to go and look for her. You must travel about, he said, and sing this here music, but the only people as'll be able to hear you will be little girls twice five years old, with five brothers younger than theirselves, and with five fingers on each hand, and five toes on each foot. And of them, he says, the only little girl as'll be able to play this here flute must have a hundred and five eyelashes on her right upper eyelid. He felt in his pocket and pulled out a magnifying glass. So that's why we want to count your eyelashes. They looked at her anxiously, all except the drummers, and they were still looking at the ground. All right, said Doris, count away. I'm sure I don't know how many I've got. She closed her eyes, and they stared through the magnifying glass, and began to count her right upper eyelashes. She became quite excited as they went on. A hundred and three, they said, a hundred and four, a hundred and five, and then they gave a great shout. You're the one, they cried, you're the very one, you've exactly a hundred and five. She opened her eyes again and saw them dancing about. Where's the flute? she asked. The soldier gave it to her. And the moon's full, said the greengrocer, and it's a quarter to twelve. Perhaps we shall soon find my appetite. And my character, said the soldier. And my husband, said the stout lady. And my temper, said Lancelot. But the drummers had lost all hope and still stared at the ground. Now, said Lancelot, we'd better go to the market-place. This here little girl will show us the way. And when the clocks have struck twelve, we'll sing our song and see what happens. So they went to the market-place where the town hall was, and where all the tram-lines criss-crossed, and the policeman on duty outside the bank stared at them sleepily but didn't say anything. There were also two dustmen with a cart cleaning up rubbish and bits of newspaper, and a waterman watering the asphalt, and some postmen outside the post-office loading a mail-van. Then the deep bell of the old abbey tower began to toll the hour of midnight, and the moon looked down on them with her silver face, and they stood in a row and began their song. Doris's hands were shaky, as you can imagine, when she lifted the flute to her lips. But when she began to blow, the flute began to play, and oh, the difference it made to the song! For it was now a song with the maddest and sweetest and most beguiling melody that anybody in the world had ever imagined, or ever imagined that anybody could imagine. It began very softly, like a boy whistling, and the cracking of sticks in a deep wood, and then it sounded like birds singing and water falling, and ripe fruit dropping from trees. Then it grew louder until it sounded like thunder and sea-waves shattering on the beach, and then it grew softer again, like leaves rustling and crickets chirping in the grass. Before the stout lady had sung half the first verse, Doris could hardly stand still enough to play the flute. She could scarcely believe that it was possible for anybody in the world to feel so happy. She saw the policeman running toward them, and the postman, and the man from the water-cart. She saw the windows above the shops in the market-place thrown up, and people looking out. Then came the chorus, like the pealing of great bells, and the policeman and the postman began to join in, 
and people in their night dresses and pajamas came running out of their front doors, singing at the tops of their voices. Before the chorus was over, there were nearly a hundred people singing and shouting and beating time, and the cymbals were clashing, and the concertina was groaning, and the five drummers were hitting like mad. But it was the flute, it was Doris's flute, that soared up and up and led the whole music, and when the dance came it was the magic of Doris's flute that stole into the feet of all who heard it. Most of them were bare feet like Doris's own, but some were in slippers and some in boots, and soon they were all whirling and twisting and hopping as the people that they belonged to danced and sang. The news had spread abroad now, and by the end of the second verse the whole of the marketplace was simply crammed, and by the end of the third verse all the streets that led into it were bubbling over with people dancing. There were the ironworks men dancing with their employers, and Mr. Joseph dancing with his girls, and the heads of the cotton mills dancing in their pajamas, arm in arm with the people that worked for them. And there was the French mistress dancing with the two dustmen, and there was Miss Plum dancing with the chimney-sweep, and there was the policeman trying to dance with everybody, and everybody trying to dance with him. Then a little man with a carroty moustache pushed through the crowd and caught hold of the stout lady, and she nearly dropped her tambourine because he was her long-lost husband. As for the greengrocer, he became so hungry that he danced into one of Mr. Joseph's shops, and Mr. Joseph gave him permission to eat everything that he could see. Funnily enough, too, both Uncle Joe and Captain Jeremy happened to be in town, and when Uncle Joe caught sight of the soldier he was so struck with his honest appearance that he gave him the names of three or four generals who would be only too glad to have him in their armies. It was the same, too, with Lancelot, for when Captain Jeremy spoke to him his face became so gentle that Captain Jeremy resolved at once to give him a job as boatswain's mate. Then the French mistress came and kissed Doris, and then everybody cheered everybody else, and the five drummers shouted with joy because each of them had found the sense that he had lost. The blind one could see, and the deaf one could hear and the one that couldn't feel felt somebody squeezing him, and the one that couldn't smell suddenly smelt somebody's tooth-powder, and the one that couldn't taste had the biggest surprise of all, for one of Mr. Joseph's girls gave him a box of chocolates, and it was the loveliest thing that had ever happened to him, and after that, when she gave him some almond rock, he asked her if she would marry him, and she said that she would. For a whole hour Doris played her flute, and then it stopped, and everybody looked at everybody else, and everybody else looked so queer and funny that everybody began to shout with laughter. Even the moon laughed, and the end of it was that they all resolved to make up their quarrels, because after what had happened it seemed so silly to go on quarreling about anything. But what the tune of the song was no one remembered. The next morning, when Doris took the flute to school, none of the girls could make it play anything, not even Gwendolen, who had a flute at home. "'Hush!' said the man in the moon, full-faced and white. 
and I listened, I listened so hard that I heard through the night. Faint through a crack in the ice of the whiteness I heard, somebody whisper my name with a magical word. And the moon and the stars and the sky and the roofs of the street fell in fragments of darkness and silver that danced at my feet. And we danced, and we danced, and we danced, and oh, tired was I, when full-faced and white the cold moon shone again in the sky. End of chapter 6